0: One of the great leaders on the planet of engaged spirituality, Aung San Suu Kyi, who's a democracy freedom leader in Burma, is now gone from house arrest to prison. She's in really bad health. Her life is threatened. It's a really, it's quite a um, tragic situation, and it's one of those examples on the planet where somebody that really represents the spirit of love and peace is really um, now in the limelight and in trouble. So I wanted to, just because part of the beauty of what's here is consciousness, really, is just to take a moment to invite our silent prayer. So, if you will, just to, again, perhaps close your eyes and take a few full breaths and let yourself arrive again as we have been. In that prayerfulness, in that sincerity that cherishes peace, that reveres life, and that holds in the light on Sangsu Chi, with prayers for her health, prayers for her safety. And prayers for the healing in her country and this world that will put an end to violence, that will lead us to peace. Namaste. I will try to get something on the website, on IMCW's website, for those of you that would like to, in addition to your prayer, be able to send a letter to the UN or wherever is appropriate on this issue. So tonight I'd like to explore what are really key elements on the spiritual path that turn us to freedom, that move us towards freedom in an inner way. And I'll begin um, with a story I shared at our at our recent retreat um, because it's such a useful story. It has the most powerful elements in it. And then we'll do some reflections tonight that really cultivate these qualities of heart and mind that are really freeing. So this is an ancient story from India and it's about a young man named Nachi Keta. And I'm going to start in. I'm going to read some of it and tell you some of it. Several of Nachiketas' friends died, and he was feeling the brevity of life. And then his father, who was a rich merchant, and was not—he was really into the fact of how much property we own and so on. He was encouraged by Brahmin priests of the community to make a grand donation to the temple in order to ensure himself a good rebirth in the afterlife. And so Nachiketa was appalled by this kind of contemporary, you know, parent-child conflict here. And um, so the day arrived, and Nachiketa's father said, I give my cattle, my gold, all value to the priests of the temple. And then Nachiketa says, all you value. What about me, your son? And he publicly shamed and offended his his father. So his father responded, well, I give you as well. I give you to death. And Nachiketa's eyes blazed, and he replied, I accept. And he left. Okay, so you've got this... They're really at each other, but Nachiketa splits, and he goes to this remote spot in a deep forest and waits for death to show himself. And for three days and three nights, he sits there intent and motionless, determined to face death in his spiritual quest. And he comes at last to what's called the Land of Yama, where the King of Death is. And the King of Death is also known as the Keeper of Accounts, and he's greeted by death's three assistants, Pestilence, Famine, and War who explain that Lord Yama's away He's out collecting rent (laughs) That's fine, Nachiketa says, I'll wait So death returns three days later and assistants tell him about this most unusual young man that's come seeking him And so Lord Yama's impressed and he says, you know, I'm sorry I've kept you waiting and I'll make up for the three days you waited by offering you a boon You may choose three blessings for your journey And so these three blessings are what we're going to be reflecting on tonight. During the time of journeying and waiting, Nachiketa had entered a luminous state of mind and he recognized what he needed to go on. He knew what his three blessings would be. And the first boon he requested was forgiveness for all he had touched. He said, let my father look upon me with the same joy as the day I was born. Nachiketa knew that only by releasing his past By reconciling with all that was incomplete in his heart Could he continue his journey He knew he couldn't put his father out of his heart If he was to be free So that, was, that blessing was granted And Nachiketa's heart was open and clear So Lord Yama looked at him and said Your first boon was a wise one, Nachiketa What will be your second? Speak and after a moment's silent reflection, Nachiketa spoke. I ask the blessing of inner fire. Nachiketa knew that to succeed on his spiritual journey, he would need the ardor and courage to follow the path with his whole being. So Nachiketa asked for the strength to give himself fully to the quest. Inner fire is a wholehearted energy, a spiritual passion, a full aliveness of being. It's our deepest aspiration. So again, Lord Yama honored Nachiketa's wisdom and blessed him with the inner strength and devotion, with the inner fire. Free from restrictions of old conflict and filled now with the limitless energy of perseverance, Nachiketa found much of what was necessary to move on. It was then that Lord Yama asked him to name his final boon, and after reflecting, he said, I ask for that which is immortal. With some surprise, Death reminded this audacious young man that he had come to the last boon and that he could choose anything. Lord Yama then conjured up visions of what Nachiketa might choose instead, a harem of beautiful maidens to travel with on his journey, a royal golden war chariot with the world's fastest steeds, a palace where Nachiketa would be king. Nachiketa viewed all of these and more. Why not choose among these? Death urged again. But Nachiketa was a determined youth, not easily led astray. He said, Will not all of these things that you've shown me return soon enough to your own kingdom, Lord Yama? The Lord of Death smiled at Nachiketa's understanding and answered, Yes, it is true. Then I asked to know that which is immortal. At this, Lord Yama said, I will grant your third boon. And he handed Nachiketa a simple yet extraordinary gift, a mirror. If you wish to find the secret of immortality, Nachiketa, I cannot help you more than this. You yourself must look directly into yourself. Then you must repeatedly ask yourself the greatest of all human questions. Who am I? Look beyond your body and your thoughts, Nachiketa. In this way, you will find what you seek. whether it is enacted in initiation or in meditation, we too must face Lord Yama. And these are the three domains, these three boons that we each cultivate and explore on our path to freedom. So just to say that Nachiketa's journey began with disillusionment, and it's true for all of us, it's not a, a bad thing, it's that the illusions start falling away, and it might be that our body starts getting old or gets sick or that we lose someone that we love or we lose a job or we're betrayed in a relationship or some change happens in our family our children leave home but there's some idea of how it is that, that ends up dropping away and there's a kind of groundlessness in that disillusionment that really opens the space to change um, to change and to awakening But what we get is it's out of control. That's the disillusionment. We get that whatever idea we had that we can control how things were, it's not like that. One person writes, this life is a test. It's only a test. If it were a real life, then you would have been told and you would have been given more specific information about where to go and what to do. (laughs) So it's out of control. And then there's two possibilities when it's out of control. And one is that when we encounter the inevitable sickness and pain and death and others not cooperating, we can intensify our strategies of fight or flight. And that happens. We can get bitter, we can get rigid, we can get hard. There's an assumption at that point that something's wrong and we actually try to control even more. This illustrated in one teaching story that's quite classic, where a uh, man's being chased by a tiger and he kind of ends up having no choice but leaping over the edge of a cliff and he's holding on really tight to this one vine and the tiger's pacing above and there's craggy cliffs below and he he shouts out, God, is anyone there? And there's a booming voice, yes. God, is that you? Yes, son, I'm here. God, help, I'll do anything. Okay, just let go is anyone else here? (laughs) So it's like the very last thing we'll do. It's really the very last. um, We'll do anything, but in some way just open to how it is. We take refuge in controlling. That's the false refuge. The alternative, which is really what the entire Dharma is about, the entire Dharma, is that in the face of death, change, the inevitability of just life as it is, we have the possibility of pausing and offering an unconditional presence right here in this moment. It's not our conditioning and yet it's our capacity. As we do so, as we begin to choose presence, Choose presence because there's a deep wisdom in us that intuits the freedom that's in that. Intuits that when we stop controlling we actually open to a very pure and powerful beingness. When we choose presence then we start discovering these three gifts. This gift of forgiving, of letting go, this gift of the inner fire, of this, this passion and aspiration that energizes and this gift of timelessness of looking into the mirror and truly realizing and living from our wholeness so let's take them one at a time and because these are truly for me these are the three domains that every time we reflect on them we come more fully and truly into the uh, wholeness and mystery and beauty of what we are so the first, I'll just reflect a bit on it, is forgiveness. And I think sometimes the word forgiveness has this connotation of somebody else has done something, we've been hurt, and we're going to make ourselves bigger, and we're going to forgive that person. Whereas actually, forgiveness means to let go of our armoring. That when there's a feeling of woundedness, we create this armoring to protect ourselves. And forgiving means letting go of our stories of blame and letting ourselves feel the hurt itself. And it's courageous and it takes some time. So just to speak a bit more about it, that we forgive because there's some deep, commitment to not push ourselves or anyone out of our hearts and we might not be able to accomplish that right now it might be that we need to stay more more armored but if it's our intention there's a real importance here this is like really key if it's our intention to put down the armoring gradually that door will open in our heart so so we begin by understanding that there's a difference between wise discrimination which can register oh, this person is dangerous to be around or this this person here if if I entrust my vulnerability to this person they're going to slam me and it's going to not be healthy for me or them or that person, you know really needs to be put in some safe place and keep others safe or whatever that's wise discrimination Sensing that when this happens, this happens. Sensing causality. That's different than aversive judgment, hatred, anger. And we forgive not to be virtuous, not to be a good spiritual person, but because we can't be free when our heart is armored. In other words, we can't carry anger or push one person out of our heart and then turn around and have our heart be open to the next person. Our heart doesn't just open and close like that. The armoring is there, and it cuts us off. In a moment of non-forgiveness, of hatred, or anger, of blame, because the blaming stories are the key, we're in a trance. In the moment that we're believing our story about, you're a bad person, I don't mean perceiving... You do this and it, and it hurts. That's wise discrimination, but you're a bad person, that energy that's got anger and hatred to it. In that moment, we're in trance because we're not seeing the truth of who's there. We're not seeing their vulnerability and their essential goodness. And we're entranced because in that moment, our sense of who we are has contracted. You might sense your experience of your own being, let's say when you're feeling really open and and loving with somebody that's easy to be with and there's a real flow with. Who are you then? Compare it to someone that you're carrying a grudge against and that sense of self there. And we know we're small-minded, we're tight. We don't even like ourselves as much, even if we feel righteous and right in the moment. It doesn't feel good. So it's not easy, though, in our active relationships to be forgiving. We each know what it's like when somebody blames or really, um, in some way, we feel sabotaged how quickly we strike out. It's very deep in us to kind of get upset and lash out at all ages. I know I read this little story. One boy announces proudly to his dad, I'm going to marry grandma. And the father gently says, Son, you can't do that. Children don't marry grandparents. He says, Why not? You married my mom, so I'm going to marry yours. (laughs) So forgiving is not indulgence or permission. You can create boundaries and forgive deeply. So it's not this kind of thing of saying, well, anything goes. I love the cartoon of two doctors beside a dying man's bed. And they're saying to him, so could we have all your stuff after you die? And the subheading is doctors without boundaries. You know? <laughs> so what I really am trying to communicate is you can forgive and vow never again will I allow that to happen. You can forgive the government in Burma. Like your heart can know certain individuals there, if you start knowing the story, that are brutal. And in some way keep your heart tender and sense how damaged and wounded a being that must be. And still absolutely vow to do everything you can to have the regime changed and, and support the democracy movement in Burma. And I'm bringing that. I'm using a specific example. Even those that are most seem most horrible. You can forgive and do anything you can and need to, to move towards healing. I think that when there's that um, some sort of a saying that forgiveness is really seems like a good idea until we actually have something to forgive has got a whole lot of truth to it when we look closely in our lives because our body gets so gripped in, in the sense of um, armored and, and angry and hating. So I just want to give you an example of how it works. The process of presence by which we begin to relax that, that armor. And the story to share with you, a um, man I worked with several years ago came to me because his wife left him and he was really caught in a lot of blame and hatred and mostly came to me because there was a triangulation going and the children were getting the the bad end. And his process was first he was blaming her because she broke her promise. I mean basically she betrayed him. And then he started blaming himself when he saw what was happening to the kids, that in some way he had he deserved what he got, he was unworthy just didn't live up to whatever it takes to satisfy his wife. And so he was landing on self-blame. And I asked him the question I ask a lot, which is, if you couldn't believe the story that I'm bad, I'm at fault, what would you have to feel? And when we do this, we're going to practice a little together whether if your blaming is of somebody else, they're bad, they're at fault, if you couldn't believe that story, if you couldn't keep telling yourself that and believing it, what would you have to feel is a key question. Because we can't begin the process of dissolving the armor until we step out of the stories we're believing and let ourselves feel what's underneath them. So for him, when I asked the question, "If you couldn't believe your story of blame, which was had to do with himself, I'm bad, I'm at fault, what would you have to feel?" and he said, "Well, that would put me right in this deep fear of failure, of helplessness, because in a way, as long as I'm blaming myself, maybe I can fix myself and be different." You know that one. Okay. So, so I said, "And what's the fear that's going to actually happen?" and he said, he said basically that everyone I love will leave me so that was the fear of loss and when he got in touch with what was underneath the self-blame everyone I love will leave me that, that grief welled up and there was some mourning and just to say that for most people underneath their stories of anger and blame there's deep hurt and deep fear it's usually one more than the other and with the hurt unless there's mourning there's no freedom there's a, a line from one African tribe vengeance is a lazy form of grief and I, I say that a lot because I find it a lot that our, our blaming is a lazy way of grieving and until we actually grieve and let ourselves feel the wound there's no real healing does that make sense? So this was for him, until he could stop blaming himself and just feel that wounded place that says, everyone I love is going to leave me. There was no movement. And once he could feel that, that grief, because this is how it happens, once we start mourning, there's compassion. As soon as you really touch the grieving place, you can, I put my hand on my heart, because this is the gesture, you can begin to regard your inner life with a tenderness. There's a shift in identity. Identity. It's no longer, I'm bad, I'm at fault. There's a sense of, there's grief here and all, oh, tenderness. That's a really big shift in our self-sense. So for him, for this man, he could, once he could be compassionate towards himself, he was able to see his wife with more clarity, how she also felt a sense of inadequacy and felt unseen and needed something more. And they were able to co-parent. They were able to both move on and co-parent. So for many it's that process of saying if I didn't buy into these stories, you're bad or I'm bad, what would I have to feel? So I'd like to practice this together in a moment, but just to say that forgiveness, this boon of forgiveness is really a life practice and that for many when there's trauma it takes the support of a healer or a therapist or really good friends it's a, it's a practice of over and over again just being willing to feel the vulnerability in us to drop behind the story of blame and feel the vulnerability and yet when we're willing to the gift of it, the boon, is a free heart so, so with that let's um, practice this first of the blessings that Nachiketa received we'll do what I sometimes call a forgiveness sweep and begin by pausing and taking a moment to feel yourself right here just listening to and feeling the moment and let your attention sweep through your body again And notice if there's anything unpleasant in your body. In other words, if there's any ache or pain or something that feels unfamiliar or scary. So that you begin the forgiveness sweep by offering, perhaps just that we'll just use the words forgiven, forgiven, to anything that is difficult in our bodies right now. It may be that your body is a little sick, or maybe you have a disease that's scaring you. So we begin by opening our hearts to our physicality. Maybe it's not so much an unpleasantness that's that's in your physical body, but an emotional body. Maybe that you're carrying some fear or restlessness. some upset about something so just scanning your heart and again simply forgiven, forgiven just offering if it's your intention to include whatever you might be pushing away forgiven, forgiven really says letting go of the armor opening to what is letting go of the armor opening to what is you might review today and sense if you're carrying any judgment towards yourself about how you navigated today maybe you had a conversation and you felt like you were abrupt or defensive maybe you didn't pay attention to someone that you wish you had given a little better attention to Maybe you felt selfish in some way, or over-aggressive, or just not tuned in. So if there's any critique of today, of yourself, again, just holding your whole being with gentleness, forgiven, forgiven, it's okay not to push yourself out of your heart. widening your scan to sense anywhere in your life right now where there's some dividedness or separation with another person tension, kind of a standoff or maybe more hostility and begin by just sensing if there's blame, what the story of blame is And underneath it, what would you have to feel if you weren't believing in the story of blame? Somewhere that you feel you've been mistreated or hurt, not attended to properly. If you let go of the story, just honestly and gently, what would you have to feel? And can you hold that with kindness, whether it's hurt or fear? If it helps to put your hand on your own heart and just offer a kind of the touch as an added kind of presence with whatever's vulnerable for the moment. under the story of blame, what do you have to feel in your body? Is it powerlessness? Is it fear? Is it grief? Can you look at the other person and, ins- and have that intention to just see the vulnerability or humanness in another? offering the words, forgiven, forgiven, are simply, my intention is to forgive. My intention is to forgive. Knowing that if your intention sincere, in time, gradually all the windows and doors of the heart will open. There's a kind of surrendering of our familiar stories of good and bad and an opening to the real life here and in that to the awakened heart. The poet Rumi puts it this way, he says, Be ground, be crumbled so wildflowers will come up where you are. You've been stony for too many years. Try something different. Surrender. So this is the first gift or capacity as we encounter reality and take true refuge. And this is relaxing our resistances, letting go of our stories of blame, and doing so because we intuit that there's no real freedom as long as we're carrying that armoring. The second gift is the inner fire, and that's the love and interest in life that really allows ourselves to, it energizes the whole path, it lets us give ourselves. Now, I like the way Robert Frost said it. He said, Something we were withholding made us weak until we found it was ourself it's a powerful inquiry in our lives to sense how we hold back and so the inner fire is really it energizes the spiritual path because it's the sincerity and the remembering of what really matters it's that remembering of what we care about and the marker of inner fire is sincerity you can sense it in somebody whether it's a sincerity in um, really bringing healing to the world in a very external way or inner healing, spiritual awakening, when somebody's sincere, it is a fire in them. And it does move them towards freedom. So what we start to investigate is how out of fear we shut down the inner fire in ourselves, in our lives. And it's not our fault. But because we became afraid in different ways, we each had ways of kind of dampening down, pushing down, pushing under. So the beginning reflection really is how do I hold back from loving those that are close? You know, we can love abstractly, but how do we hold back from that kind of moisture of the heart, that tenderness, or from expressing creativity, from reali- realizing really the fullness of our spiritual life? How do we hold back? I've always liked this verse from Rumi. He says... Gamble everything for love. He says, gamble everything for love. If you're a true human being, half-heartedness doesn't reach into majesty. Gamble everything for love. If you're a true human being, half-heartedness doesn't reach into majesty. You set out to find God, but then you keep stopping for long periods at mean-spirited roadhouses. Isn't that a great line? (laughs) So how do we hold back? I mean, how do you get waylaid? You know, what are your mean-spirited roadhouses? Where do you get waylaid? Usually I refer to them here as the false refuges. I mean, each of us has our strategies of trying to cope and get more comfortable and in some way distract ourselves. Just, it's easier. And if we don't see our false refuges, they control our lives. They dampen the inner fire. They stop us from really finding God, our freedom, our love, or however we describe that fullness of spirit. So I'll just name a few of the, the most um, obvious false refuges. One of them is that we buy into the story of limitation, that we don't have what it takes well, other people can go to the long retreats and have these fabulous experiences of emptiness and compassion and radiance and luminosity, but, you know, all I do is sit and kind of obsess. and You know, so I'm not cut out for this stuff. You know, so that's one of them. We have a story. We have our narratives that we don't have what it takes and we just tell it to ourselves a lot. We have ways of numbing ourselves through fantasy and mental obsessing and food and email, um... They say that in India that sleep is a poor man's nirvana, you know, and we do that. We kind of just go to sleep a lot. Another way we do it is we observe from a distance. We kind of disconnect from our bodies and our hearts and we read the book reviews but not the books and we think about nature but we don't really vibrate in it. It's called Zen and the Art of Reading All the Books About Zen. You know that one? I think It's so good. Then the big one, we fixate on our narrow wants and fears. And we each know it. We go through our day and we're not really thinking about how in this moment can I really arrive in presence or what would it mean in this moment to really love without holding back. That's not the question on our mind usually, right? I mean, it's really, you know, I know driving here to... It's like, what lane should I get in to get there faster, you know? And can I get away with going in this exit lane ramp before I cut in? And, you know, it was very narrow-minded. So D.H. Lawrence says, It's not what the self wants, it's what the deepest self wants. And it takes some diving. That are we able to pause during the day and remember really what matters? because it doesn't have to do with checking things off a list and it doesn't have to do with proving ourselves or being right or looking good it's not easy because we all have needs for order and security and and in some way feeling comfortable so often the inner fire wakes up when we've really been jarred by something I love... um, how Thich Han describes it, I remember one of my first retreats with him many years ago, he ended it by having everyone... First they bowed namaste, which is, I see the divine in you. And so you'd sit, this was with a partner. You'd bow to each other. I see the divine in you. And then you'd hug each other, and there was a reflection which is, I'm going to die, and you're going to die, and we have just this moment together. And what do you think that reflection does? There's some inner fire there. There's a sense of really the preciousness of this moment, of this life, and the longing to really love and not hold back our love. It's right there. And the truth is, I'm going to die, and you're going to die, and we do have just this moment. And if we think of it otherwise, we won't show up for this moment not fully, not sincerely. We'll always be in some way leaning forward to something else. So let's reflect together on on this second boon, which is really remembering what most matters. And for this reflection to really have some depth, really need to feel ourselves right here. So take a moment, you might take a few full breaths again to collect and gather and arrive right here. In the spirit of Thich Nhat Hanh's reflection, you might want to sense if you just had a few minutes to live and try to make it as real as possible, that you just have a few minutes to live. And in these few minutes, what really most matters? What do you most long for? What's really the true heart's yearning right now, right here? We awaken the inner fire by sensing our longing and inhabiting it. Just be the longing. Be longing to what you truly are. If the longing is to know love, if the longing is to really surrender into loving presence, trace it back to its source Inhabit that. Be the love. Sometimes whispering mentally the prayer of what you want, just hearing a mental whisper helps to inhabit and open to the very source of the prayer. For some, just the prayer, please love me. You can try it on. Please love me. Creates a receptivity that opens us to the loving presence itself. Or the prayer, may I know truth may I realize the truth of what I am when it's deeply sincere opens us up to the immediacy and vividness and mystery that's right here what most matters if you are at the end of your life looking back what most matters about how you lived today how you live this very moment So the first two boons, letting go of the story of blame so that this heart is free, connecting with the very longing of the heart, that inner fire that allows us to really to energize our path. And the last is the mirror which is looking into our own being and seeing that which is timeless and eternal. I'd like to start by saying, looking into the mirror, kind of looking back and sensing, well, who am I? It doesn't always seem like what we discover is timeless and eternal. The way Lily Tomlin put it, she said, I always knew I wanted to be somebody, but I guess I should have been more specific, you know? (laughs) I remember my first time going to the Insight Meditation Society, and the sign they had up on the bulletin board is, self-knowledge is not necessarily good news, so... (laughs) So you might look within and the first thing you see when you look in the mirror is anxiety and confusion and mean-spiritedness and narrow-mindedness and obsessiveness. And we might see all sorts of stuff like that. And if you keep looking and you just stay, you start noticing that's like weather. It comes and it goes and it comes and it goes. And there's something that is always there that is beyond or more profound than, are not hitched to the weather. This is Srinara When the mind is momentarily free from its preoccupations, it becomes quiet. If you do not disturb this quiet and stay in it, you find that it is permeated with a light and a love you have never known, and yet you recognize it at once as your own nature. All of the spiritual teachings lead to this one kind of invitation to quiet the mind some and look within, to quiet the mind and sense that between the thoughts there's a gap and that gap is awareness, that there's a silence that really is what we are that's listening right now that there's a stillness when we stop fixating. We can kind of sense a stillness that's aware of all the activity. And yet that stillness is our home. So most of meditation training is to sense how we fixate, lost in thought, fixate in our emotions. And in that recognizing, there's a coming back into this stillness, into this silence, into this presence that really is our true nature. So this is what the Buddha did under the Bodhi tree. Basically, the Buddha looked into his awareness and discovered the radiance of Buddha nature. And it doesn't mean that all the weather systems weren't there. They came and they went, just like ours. We sit and meditate and there's fear or tired or restless. It comes, it goes. And what we are is the presence that's aware of it all. So we'll practice a bit this, um, this teaching of looking into the mirror. And we'll do it together. And just to know that, again, this is a life practice. It's a precious one. And at first it can be discouraging because we look into the mirror and get fixated on a weather system. So the invitation is to look into the mirror and let the weather be there. And in that letting be, discover the space of presence. Okay? So sitting again. And we'll begin this reflection by sensing the gifts, the first two gifts of the spiritual path that we've been exploring. And sense in this moment the capacity of forgiving, forgiving, so that if there's anything in your body or mind right now that is bothering you, including a sense of I'm tired or I want to go home or I'm not going to be able to do this or any limiting thought, just to forgive it, forgive anything that's causing suffering, forgive physical discomfort, meaning letting go of the armor against it, let it be, just let it be there. Forgive emotional discomfort, sleepiness or fear. Just say, yes, let it be there. So we begin by just letting go of any judgment or critique, a kind of gentleness or kindness. We sense that what matters in this last short meditation truly is just a sincerity about presence. Let that be your intention just presence you can't do it wrong all that matters is that sincerity that's the very heart of the inner fire presence matters and resting in presence just begin noticing how experience is right now for you Noticing the sounds that are here. Noticing the play of sensations through the body. Noticing whatever mood is in your heart. so that you're listening to and feeling the moment not controlling anything to look into the mirror is to be listening to sound and then become aware of the presence that's listening that which is aware You can ask, what is listening? Not cognitively, but just ask and glance back into awareness. Relax and be the awareness that's listening. What is aware of all the sensation that's here? looking back into the mirror and then just being the stillness that's aware. So that you're noticing in the foreground this whole play of life, sensations and sounds feelings, and yet aware in the background of presence itself. You can't see presence you can't locate it and let you can be it be that vast awake space that this life is happening in to look into the mirror is to realize that this presence is the very essence of what we are It's our true home. This is the poet Rilke. Center of all centers, core of cores, almond self-enclosed and growing sweet. All this universe to the furthest stars and beyond them is your flesh, your fruit. Now you feel how nothing clings to you, your vast shell reaches into endless space and there the rich thick fluids rise and flow illuminated in your infinite peace. A billion stars go spinning through the night blazing high above your head but in you is the presence that will be when all the stars are dead. A billion stars go spinning through the night blazing high above your head. But in you is the presence that will be when all the stars are dead." I'm going to tell you the last part of the Nachi story, but first to say these three domains as we face reality are really the path of liberation, of letting go of the armoring around our hearts, the stories of blame, of remembering what we most care about, staying connected, letting that compass of the heart guide us, the inner fire, and then beginning to look into the mirror and sensing the very presence that's here, that's our home. And now, at the end of the story of Nachiketa, we see a young man bowing to Lord Yama, final time, and he's totally at peace. And then, as if by magic, the landscape of the kingdom of death changes to the spring rice fields of his native India. In this, a last secret is revealed to him death and birth are not separate renewal comes by dying. When we have faced death and aloneness, when we realize the formlessness, the timelessness of being, we are unafraid to live and life flowers under our feet. Everywhere we go becomes holy ground. Nachiketa knew this in his heart and walked off towards his home to embrace his father and start a new life. So I wanted to share the last piece because it can sound like this way-out-there thing of looking into the mirror and realizing this formless presence and yet the wholeness of the path is to know the ocean, know this presence that is our home and then to live, let these waves of our being live fully and celebrate this life and celebrate the seasons and feel tenderness where there's sorrow and feel joy where there's beauty, to live it fully. And that's the gift of this path, of realizing our wholeness and living spirit in an embodied form. So just take another last moment, if you will, to just honor the aliveness that's here in your own body and heart and sense the possibility of living from this wakefulness, of right in this moment sensing the quality of openness, of awakeness, of tenderness. May these lives be a living expression of loving presence. May we walk through this world and touch other beings and see the love and the presence that's shining through their eyes and being. May there be peace on earth and peace everywhere. May all beings awaken and be free. Namaste. The teaching you have received has been freely offered. If you would like to contact the Insight Meditation Community of Washington, to make a donation or to learn more about our programs, please visit our website at www.imcw.org. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.